Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, August the 16th, 2023. It's midday here in San Francisco on the west coast of the United States. Somewhere, however, around the world, it's bedtime. Uh, or perhaps you're about to wake up. Um, I hope you all slept well. We've we've had a number of shows on sleep over the years. One with Lisa Lewis, um, who connects what she believes is the global crisis of teenage anxiety with sleep deprivation. She has a new book, uh, The Sleep Deprived Teen, for parents. So we know that many of our teens are indeed sleep deprived. It's something that worries us. Um, and the issue of sleep is often thought of in terms of not getting enough. We had another doctor on the show last year, last November, Eric Prather, who's a San Francisco-based doctor, a, a sleep doctor. Um, and um, Eric has a new book out, The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. Both Lewis and Prather, of course, are focused on the problem of not getting enough sleep, why we're not sleeping. I guess uh, conditions associated one way or the other with insomnia. But there's another condition, which in many ways is even more chilling than not getting enough sleep. It's getting too much sleep. And this is dealt with, I didn't know much about it, but this is dealt with a fascinating new book uh, by my guest today, Quinn Eastman, The Woman Who Couldn't Wake Up hypersomnia and the science of sleepiness. Uh, Quinn is joining us from uh, Decatur, Georgia, where um, he works at the Emory School of Medicine. Um, Quinn, I have to admit, I'd never heard of this condition until I came across your book. Describe what it is before we get to the woman who couldn't wake up. The, the best description uh, for idiopathic hypersomnia is someone who's, who f experiences a vastly increased need for sleep and they find that sleep is taking over their lives. Yeah, I mean, to put it mildly, um, this thing you call idiopathic, idiopathic hypersomnia means that you sleep all the time. I always assumed if you sleep too long, you would just die. Um, well, there in, in kind of general epidemiology, there is this, what they call a U-shaped curve. So people who sleep a lot tend to have a higher mortality, but that's all the people out there with heart disease and metabolic conditions and whatnot. And, uh, idiopathic hypersomnia is a lot rarer. <laughs> so the, um. The story, uh, the person in your book is someone called Anna. Um, the woman who couldn't wake up is Anna. She, and sleep, you say, was taking over her life. How did you come across Anna? Um, it was a story uh, when, uh, that had been floating around when I started working at uh, Emory School of Medicine as a science writer. Um, and... You know, I I kind of worked my way into covering it, and had and it had to do with research um, out of uh, the Department of Neurology there. And um, what happened is, 
she had come to the sleep center and she, uh, she was diagnosed with idiopathic hypersomnia based on that she had this vastly increased need to sleep, would sleep 10, 12 hours, was always thinking about it. Um, and then her doctors gave her the uh, medications that were available at that time, which was basically um, conventional stimulants, uh, amphetamine and or things like it. And these were spectacularly unsuccessful. Uh, you know, they got her through the day, but then she needed about higher doses and then she experienced crashes and that was not working. Um, so they kind of said, well, let's not do this anymore. And they tried another uh, less conventional medication, which worked for her. Um, and that uh, sparked this theory about why the medication was working that was is, is still kind of controversial. Um, but it led to a couple things. One was um, it led to uh, eventually uh, research showing that um, people that her cerebrospinal fluid contained a substance that seemed to be working like a sleeping pill, like a benzodiazepine. And, um, and that kind of, that idea is still, is still a little bit um, incomplete, um, but it led to the, uh, a scientific paper, other, this substance was detected in samples from other folks, and it led to more, to eventually to more attention uh, for people with idiopathic hypersomnia and the first um, uh, industry-supported clinical trials for people with idiopathic hypersomnia. And then what I was hoping the book would do would to be a sh to shine more light on this diagnosis, which has been sort of hidden behind narcolepsy, a, a better known condition for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I want to get to the difference between this idiopathic hypersomnia and narcolepsy in a minute. But tell me a little bit more about Anna. Um, she was a lawyer or she is a lawyer. I mean, obviously, you don't want to give her last name based in Atlanta. And she was you said she slept sometimes 12, 13 hours. But you suggest also longer, 30 or even 50 hours at a stretch. Could she literally sleep for 50 hours? Um, that was basically uh, a as a result of um, taking stimulants and then having a crash, and she would, it wouldn't happen all the time. Um, Unmedicated. I don't think that that anything extreme like that would happen um, on a. I mean, regular that must day. be a world record, Quinn, to sleep uh, fifty hours. I mean, that's two full days. Obviously, there's some there in from there in the literature from like you know, 19th century, there are all these records of people who, pat, you know, sleep for an entire week or something. <laughs> it's It sounds kind of impossible. <laughs> but they probably worked in the fields for a week and then slept for a week. Yeah. Um, and, and this woman was able, Anna was able to function 
I mean, relatively normally in the workforce. She was a lawyer in Atlanta. Well, it, 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 it built up over time such that she made, you know, she noticed that her need for sleep was increasing. Um, she, you know, she got through law school. She clerked for a judge. She, you know, went to work at this law firm. And it was kind of building up all, all during that time. Um, and, but eventually she had to take leave from her job and um, because she, you know, she didn't want to neglect her clients or, you know, not. So how did you, I, I mean, I know you have a PhD, but you're not a, you're, you're not a, a GP. How did you access her? And, and were you covering her as a journalist or as a scientist? It more more as a journalist, uh, in the sense that I had, I'm, was following the research being done at Emory, and then um, I w was able to interview Anna and establish a uh, more long term uh, a, a, a relationship with her. Uh, you know, just professional, and um, and I'm grateful that she has was willing to give me permission to to kind of use her story in this way. Uh, Quinn, is, we live in an age, obviously, of extremes in, in the environment and too hot temperatures, too cold temperatures. Do you think there's a connection between people who don't sleep enough and hypersomnia, people who sleep too much? Are these conditions that might somehow reflect the modernity of the early 21st century, or, or, or is that over-conceptualizing it? Um, there, there are a couple ideas around that. One is that, um, people who are sleep deprived chronically for many years, um, then have a reaction against that. And then they're sleepy all the time later. And that, that, that's an idea that goes back a you know, decades. Um, but the other thing that is happening, um, and it, uh, you know, is periodically we get these uh, big uh, epidemics of viral infections, and um, and that can lead to um, disturbance of the of regulation of sleep. Well, Quinn, I want to take a break now. I want to give a message to our sponsor, uh, Liberties, a wonderful new quarterly, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. Guarantee you one thing about Liberties: it won't put you to sleep, given our subject today. I'm going to run a short ad for Liberties, and then we'll be back with um, uh, with uh, Quinn Eastman, the author of The Woman Who Couldn't Wake Up. So don't go away, anyone. Uh, don't fall asleep. We'll be back in about 20 seconds. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. We are back with Quinn Eastman, the author of The Woman Who Couldn't Wake Up. Uh, I know, Quinn, you've thought about the broader context of this in terms of contested illnesses. Doctors tend to be, like many scientists, very territorial. Um, is idiopathic hypersomnia, is it accepted broadly within the medical community as a condition? 
Yes. Um, so what I say in the book is that um, idiopathic hypersomnia never became a contested illness in this in the way, way that chronic Lyme uh, disease or MECFS, uh, you know, chronic fatigue, it never got to that point. But it was it was acknowledged within sleep medicine. But the people with it felt kind of neglected and overlooked, and the diagnosis didn't get a lot of respect for a long time. And uh, my book is partly a look at how that changed. Is it? I mean, could could you argue that it's just a, a, a category of, of narcolepsy? And why does it matter whether or not these conditions are ha have their own terms? Why can't idiopathic hypersomnia be just considered an extreme form of narcolepsy? Uh, there, that's one of the debates going on in the in the sleep medicine field right now. Um, and you know, 20 years ago, it may it wouldn't have mat mattered that much. Uh, but if it helps uh, a physician decide what is the best medication, um, and and guide a patient to to that choice, um, then then diagnosis matters. You know the 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 terms and the categories that we put people in, then they matter. We've done many shows, Quinn, as you can imagine, on the dysfunctionality, or what many people see as the dysfunctionality of the American American medical system, particularly associated with insurance. Did um, did Anna struggle on the insurance front? Presumably, she needed to pay for the medicine and the doctors. Does does having a a condition which is accepted broadly within the medical community, does that mean insurance companies will pay for the drugs and the attention as opposed to stuff that isn't broadly accepted? Um, well, what Anna and later other people did is that they, um, they were, um, they were, what Anna depended on was a, a medication called flumazenil, uh, which is um, FDA approved, but not for sleep disorders. So um, she first uh, obtained access to it through what's uh, called expanded access. So basically um, making a special plea to the FDA and to the, um, to the company, to the manufacturer. Uh, and then um, through a compounding pharmacy. And uh, those are kind of gray areas in terms of uh, pharmaceutical re regulation. And now there are hundreds and possibly thousands of people who have um, who get access to flumazenil and insurance doesn't cover it. Uh, it's not super expensive compared to some of the, uh, the, the actually the approved options. Um, but the people, it's possible to get insurance coverage, but it's very difficult. You have to, you know, go through a couple rounds of appeal, apparently. Um, that's a really, I mean, but I think anyone with a chronic illness these days in the U.S. healthcare system has to deal with something called prior authorization. And it's just a headache over and over again. Yeah. And, and sleep and people with sleep disorders are just part of that. Um, and then also today, these days we have 
the shortage of um, more conventional stimulants. I know you've written also about the prevalence of this condition um, in some white papers. How many people have this? What's your guess? Um, the current guess right now for idiopathic hypersomnia is um, one in 10,000. Which is, to me, is not a lot. I mean, that's um, not a lot, meaning uh, it's actually quite a large. So most of us know 10,000 people. Most of us probably know somebody with this condition. Um, there are a lot, a lot of people out there who experience what is called excessive daytime sleepiness. But most of those people have something much more common, which is uh, sleep apnea. Um, so idiopathic hypersomnia is off is sort of uh, the people who pass through the sieve <laughs> and uh, and make it uh, to the bottom. So uh, finally, Quinn, what would you suggest to people who are listening or watching and think, oh, my God, uh, I might have this condition or my son or daughter might have this condition. What should they do? Well, the the there's a lot of research going on and there are uh, organizations that have uh, uh, formed in the la in the over the last 10 years to support people with these kind of diagnoses. And the Hypersomnia Foundation is one. Um, and I uh, spoke earlier this year at um at their conference and it, it's um so the the thing that i recommend is to get together with others with the same diagnosis compare notes there are people uh there are physicians who know who know how to address your concerns or at least you know step by step <laughs> and there are other people who deal with the same issues and it, it's definitely helpful to compare notes and get together and organize. I mean, sleep's so essential, isn't it? I mean, either you get not enough or too much. Uh, I never realized there were sleep doctors, Eric Prather, for example. Sh should there be more? Is this one of the problems that there aren't enough doctors who specialize in sleep? Or perhaps might it reflect too much specialization? Um, I don't know what the the numbers are. It's it, it's gone through waves of a lot of people piling into uh, sleep medicine because they think it's uh, an easy specialty to get into, uh, but then but then it goes away. Um, what need what there needs to be is a way for people to check their sleep quality at home that is better than some of the uh, devices that are that are available. Um, and that is something that I think that, that there should be available pretty soon. Uh, you know, something like a patch that you wear on your chest and monitors your breathing and, uh, your heart rate and, and could actually tell you, like you can get something on your phone that will right, get the apps now. I mean, most of these apps, especially, uh, on the iPhone allow you to measure your own sleep. I'm always a little wary of those, to, but should people who are concerned, should they, use these apps do you think um the the ones that are just track you know your your based on your phone or uh um the sleep scientists will tell you that just those just aren't good enough um but there are some better technologies there that uh you know kind of could even you know measure your brain waves a little bit um 
that can do a really good job. And then finally, finally, Quinn, what are the numbers? I mean, if you're sleeping, what, more than nine or 10 hours a day, should you be concerned? Um, yeah, that is, uh, you know, even, even if you don't meet the, the, the formal criteria for idiopathic hypersomnia, uh, with, which is actually 11 hours, um, then th there are lots of people who, who have a problem and then they can go to a doctor and, see, and, and, and have it addressed.